I spent the past week suffering in Mexico. <laughs> My brother Mark is the uh, famous preacher. He, um, he's, people give him stuff all the time. So somebody gave him a week-long vacation at this really exclusive place in Mexico. And um, they had four people attending you all the time, doing breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and washing your clothes, doing your room, all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, and um, as I was sitting there the other day, I was kind of looking out the mountain, the ocean. All of a sudden, I had this kind of twinge in my soul of missing you guys. And I thought, what's that? So apparently, I'm in the right place, uh, being here in sanctuary and just such a hope for 2020. I, I know we're not what we need to be or what we can be. And uh, we're, our intention is to see what God has for us in this year. But I am glad to be here. And I'm glad to be here with you. So welcome to the season of Epiphany. Yabba dabba do. Um, epiphany is the time of the year that the church celebrates the idea that God is willing to make God's self known to us, to bring God's very being into the light. Um, this is good news because generally speaking, God dwells in obscurity, tucked away in creation, tucked away in our lives. There's a text in Isaiah 45, 15 that I think all of us can resonate with this and have experienced this. The text says, truly, you are a God who hides himself, <laughs> O God and Savior of Israel. It turns out that faith is not about seeing very clearly. Um, Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Right? Uh, in other words, faith is sketchy with a tad of certainty. It's not certainty with a tad of sketchy. It's a leap. It's a thing where we kind of are grasping. Blaise Pascal, who was a, uh, a six, seven, 16th century um, um, scientist and a, and a kind of an armchair theologian, he wrote this, quote, if God had wished to overcome the obstinacy of the most hardened, he could have by so, done so by revealing himself to them so plainly that they could not doubt the truth of his essence. But he chooses to be recognized only by those who sincerely sought him. And then watch this. There's enough light for those who desire only to see, but enough darkness for those of a contrary disposition, end quote. This season of Epiphany celebrates the idea that there are times when God makes himself obvious to us as individuals. And that light becomes a bit more difficult to ignore. There are just spaces that it seems in our lives when there's something more that reaches out to us. God makes himself known. When our kids were little, really tiny, you know, was the most fun. We used to hide behind stuff and pop out and say, peekaboo, right? And then tuck away again, right? So epiphany is God's kind of peekaboo to us, right? So, sort of, hey, somehow making himself known. When something happens and people stop and say, wait a minute, could that have been God? I mean, there's some sense that there's something there. Epiphany, the word, is derived from the Greek, which means manifestation or to appear. Um, and in the context of faith, the term describes the appearance of the invisible God 
in some perceptible form. Jesus, obviously, is the ultimate epiphany because he's God right there in flesh. There are three events in the life of Jesus that the church is often referred to and cited about how epiphany works, how God reveals God. Um, the first story is the story we just read or heard from the gospel where the Magi come to the child Jesus and God reveals to them in an odd kind of way. I mean, the star stopping over, I don't know how that worked, but just. But we'll talk more about that in a second. Second, the baptism of Jesus is referred to when John the Baptist baptizes him and to the surprise of everyone, the heavens open and the spirit descends upon him some kind of a way that, that he describes almost like a dove. And, the, and this voice is heard. This is my son, right? Right out of the heavens. That's that revealing, that surprise, that epiphany, right? Is referred to as how God sometimes pops into our lives. And then the third uh, reference that's used explicitly is the wedding at Cana, where Jesus does a miracle turning the water into wine. And the scripture actually says he did this to reveal his glory, to give them a peek, to have an epiphany. Oh, wow, I didn't see that, but now I see it kind of thing. Christians have been celebrating this season of epiphany ever since the uh, second century. Really, it was before, I mean, they obviously thought of Christmas, but before they settled on a day to celebrate it, they were doing epiphany. Very important in the Christian uh, um, world historically. So let's pick up the gospel that we just heard from in verse 7. This is Matthew 2. This is where it says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that you don't have these verses up to you. Is it broken? That's all right. You just have to believe I'm telling you the truth. All right. So he sent them to um, Broken Arrow and said, Go and make a careful search for the child, and as soon as you find him, report it to me. This is, this is Herod talking. He said that I may go and worship him as well. Well, he obviously isn't going to do that, but after they had heard the king, they went off on their way, and this star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. They bowed down. And they worshiped him and they opened their treasures and presented him with these gifts of gold, incense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream to not go back, or to go, not to go back to Herod, but to return to their country, they went to their country. So there's a bunch of odd in this story, obviously, exactly the following the star that stops over a house, a morning star, doesn't make sense to us. What is, what I find interesting about the story though, is that these magi were not Jews, right? So they're not used to the whole Jewish tradition and the God of the Jews, although they're pagans, right? Uh, scholars speculate that they were probably Persian Zoroastrian uh, um, priests, pagan to the core. They might have stumbled across the idea of a Messiah in the writings of Daniel. I'm talking about the Daniel in the lion's den, Daniel. And um, somehow God shows up in the lives of these pagan priests and uses a star to capture their attention. Um, these priests from this area of the world used to watch the stars to try to figure out the future, determine what would happen. They were stargazers. Keep in mind that, that stargazing, in order to find signs of the future, was explicitly forbidden by the God of the Jews. And they were told to not do that. They'd be stoned to death, right? It was just completely not acceptable. Yet, 
God somehow makes himself known to these magi in a way that violated God's given law. I mean, God speaks to them through a way that was forbidden. (laughs) And God gives testimony through this forbidden modality, through this star. Why was that okay? I mean, why would God do that? I don't know. No one knows. Um, If you don't ever get confused a little when you read the Bible, and it all makes sense to you, you're really not paying attention. (laughs) I know some of us can't stand the notion of there being, you know, anything that seems contradictory or anything that seems inconsistent in the Bible. We think everything has to fit, even if we have to manipulate texts until they fit, right? But what if God is cool with some inconsistency and opacity and confusion? I mean, what if, what if, I mean, there's some in the early church actually that rejoice whenever they saw something that wasn't clear in the Bible or even inconsistent or even contradictory because they saw it as, as a way an evidence of how God welcomed human participation in the divine story. What if that's true? What if everything doesn't have to be perfect and fit in every possible way until you figure it out? What if you can just lean back and say, that was weird. <laughs> what I love most about the Magi narrative is that God makes himself known to people who aren't even close to believing things in the right way. <laughs> you probably have friends that don't believe things in the right way. Watching stars and following stars is a no-no. It was forbidden in Scripture, and yet God violates his own law in order to reveal himself to the Magi. It seems that God, since God makes the rules, God also gets to bend them for his purposes. This shows how God, how far God is willing to go to reach people to give testimony to his presence and to create the question, what if? No matter who you think is beyond the reach of God, that person is not. A person who loves things too much is not beyond the reach of God. A person stuck in addiction is not beyond the reach of God. I mean, a person who professes another faith is not beyond God's saving hand. I mean, the magi were of another faith and God caught them. Let me dare to take this a step further. What if God is reaching out to everyone, everywhere on the planet, trying to bring a star to their attention, trying to bring light into their lives? What if, what if what, whatever they value and love is really a testimony from God to them and of God's love and of God's care? And what if evangelism... The problem is not that God is not engaged with people. What if the problem is that people are experiencing good that's coming from God, blessings that are coming from God, but they don't, just, they don't recognize it as coming from God. The God who's giving them testimony that he's alive by sending the good, by sending the blessing. There's a story in the book of Acts that suggests exactly that. This is out of Acts 14. I wish you could see it, but let me just listen carefully. It says in Lystra... There was a man that was crippled in his feet who was lame from birth. This guy had never walked. And he listened to Paul as he was speaking. And Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed and called out to him, stand up on your feet. And at that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Miracle. 
when the crowd saw that miracle, what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lyconian language, the gods have come to us in human form. <laughs> so what did they do? They saw a miracle, but they, the only light they had was this must be the Greek gods. See, some people's stars, the light that they have, what makes sense to them is not what's true. But God can take what makes sense for them, that star that they're looking at, and recontextualize it and bring people to Jesus. And so in this context, they co-opted this miracle that came from the God of the Jews, the God of Jesus, the true God as we would call him, and they co-opted that miracle into their pagan story. They said, a miracle has happened. It must be the gods have come down. The Greek gods have come down. And they thought that Barnabas was Zeus. And Paul, they called Hermes, these Greek gods, because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, so they have an actual temple that was close by here. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside of the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. They were missing the point. <laughs> but when the apostles Bar Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd, said, men, why are you doing this? We're just people, human like you are. Listen, he says, we are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let the nations go their own way, yet... Even though you've gone your own way, even though you've interpreted everything that's happened to you in your own pagan narrative, God has not left you alone. Even when you're confused, he has not left himself without testimony. Listen to his testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven, crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. The joys of life falling in love, having babies, laughing with friends. These are all gifts from God. They're stars. They're testimonies that God is real and that God is engaged with the human life and the human experience. But even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. See, these folks in Lystra were crediting the goodness of God in their lives to pagan gods, the miracle they saw, the rain, the crops, the food, the joy in their hearts. They attributed them to Greek gods. Praise Zeus, praise Hermes was their cry. And they wanted to offer sacrifices to them. And how did God respond all this time to them? Misreading, miscontextualizing, doing what was wrong, doing what was forbidden. How did God respond? He just kept giving them testimony in the form of rain, good crops, plenty of food, and joy in their hearts. <laughs> Most people of faith don't want to go where Paul goes here. We tend to want to judge people. There's the saved and the unsaved, the sons of God, the daughters of God, the sons and daughters of Satan, which make us assume that there is no way that God is doing anything in their lives because they're of the devil. I know this is stupid, but I used to get mad when I saw people who seemed to have happy lives or happy marriages or happy homes who weren't Christians explicitly. 
just I just kind of get mad. I think it just has to be devil happiness. Because to keep them from Jesus. Because people that come to Jesus got to get really depressed. So if you were happy, it must be the, the devil. <laughs> but in this story, Paul's going, you know all the stuff that's good? All the stuff that makes you laugh? All the stuff that keeps you okay? All that stuff is God's testimony to you. You think it's the pagan gods, but it's not. It's the living God. The sad, sad part of the story in this with Lystra is that they didn't believe Paul and they actually end up stoning him <laughs> and leaving him for dead. I hope that won't happen here. <laughs> Unlike the Magi, most people don't seem to catch the stars that are sent to them. The signs from God. They think that good things are in their lives from some other God or some religious construct or luck or good karma or their own hard work. There's all kinds of reasons why they think good happens to them. And the whole time, it's God sending good. This is sort of shown in the story where Jesus, it's a different story than the baptism story, but it's where Jesus is um, standing there and the scripture says, he prays to the Father, this is in John, Father, glorify your name. And the scripture says, then a voice came out of heaven. I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then listen, the crowd that was there heard it. Some said that it thundered, Others said an angel had spoken to him. See, what this means is that when God gives testimony of his, of his uh, existence and testimony of his love for people, some people think it's thunder. Think it's natural. Just something natural happened. Some see the spiritual connection, not everyone. Irrespective, though, of what people think, the claim from Paul is all the good that humans experience, saint or otherwise, happens because God is giving testimony of his care for humanity. Yay, God! See, I think if we believe that more, it would change how we look at people. As I've done this over the years, it has completely changed me, how I look at people. Now, when I meet people or talk with them, I no longer try to figure out if the person's in or out religiously. I don't ask, are you saved? I don't think like that. Now, when I meet people, I think to myself, I wonder how God is working in their lives. And do they even know it? That's the question. Because God is working in everybody's life. Do they know it? That's the significant question. I've moved from judgment to wonder when it comes to people. And it's such a sweeter place to be. Doing this will make you carry more of a sense of awe and mystery about God's commitment to humanity. Instead of wondering what they are, who they are, where they stand, you start thinking, what, what is God speaking to her, I wonder? What, what is the star in his life? D is he aware that the star is God's testimony and an invitation to Jesus? Is there any sense of that? See, what if evangelism is more about that, kind of like being a Sherlock Holmes or something, you know, where you're looking for clues of God, God's activity in people's lives, wondering what's going on, than, than it is about, you know, sitting down and saying, let me walk through these four laws with you and uh, preach, preach to them to do something that they must do to, in order to become insiders instead of remain outsiders. See, what if we are all insiders in some way, just not aware of it? 
I'm not suggesting that everybody's okay. I'm just suggesting God's chasing everybody. Listen, Augustine, he's a famous guy, (laughs) gives the report of his conversion to the Christian faith. And this is what he writes. He's actually praying this to God. This is what he writes. Listen, quote, late have I loved you. Beauty so old and so new. Late have I loved you. And see, you were within, and I was in the external world and sought you there. And in my unlovely state, I plunged into those lovely created things which you made. But you were with me, and I was not with you. The lovely things kept me far from you, though if they did not have their existence in you, they had no existence at all. You called and cried out loud and shattered my deafness. You were radiant and resplendent and you put to flight my blindness. You were fragrant and I drew in my breath and now pant after you. I tasted you and I feel but hunger and thirst for you. You touched me and I am set on fire to attain the peace which is yours. End quote. Shazam. I love these old dead people. He's basically saying, I, you were always with me. You were always in me, but I was out there somewhere. What if that's true? What if that's evangelism? Don't you know who embraces you? Don't you know who gives you life? <laughs> I think we're simply to point to the stars, to the good that, God brings into people's lives and then we need to encourage them to be star followers, star gazers, looking at the thing that seems to come from without to them. I share this story too much but I only have a few. Um, my friend, the neurosurgeon in Wisconsin and who said he was an agnostic and I told him in a rather long conversation I won't go into, I said, listen, doc. I said, God's testifying to you. He's speaking to you in some part of your life. He's laughing at me. And he finally said the place that he ever feels any kind of transcendent anything was when he was walking in nature. And I simply said to him, listen, next time you feel that, ask it. Are you Jesus? And the story came back some months later that that's exactly what happened. And he now is a Christian. Why? I didn't tell him, well, you need to do this or you're going to die. I just said, I just looked at him. I remember thinking, I know God's working in your life because God works in everyone's life. I wasn't trying to judge him. I was standing in wonder of him. If you get this, you can be an evangelist without being a jerk. I think every person of faith has some kind of star story. (laughs) I remember when I first saw the light, my star, where God was trying to catch my attention. It happened through a friend of mine at a party. And um, he said to me, just out of the blue, his brother had come from the Jesus movement thing that was going on on the West Coast. It was 1970. And he said to me, I'm thinking about giving my life to Jesus. And something about that captured me. And, and that, it snagged me. And I thought, can God be known? I mean, I wanted to know that if God could be known. It was like this bright star that I was, so what, what? 
And I was 14 years old the night that I heard that comment. I shot home to pray. It was late at night. I have to confess that I was in kind of a stupor. It was the 70s. And I had smoked some pretty good ganja. Not condoning this kind of behavior. But here I am, high, thinking about what it would mean if I gave my life to God. And so I prayed a very non-biblical prayer. Right? Uh, I didn't start with Jesus. I started with Mary like a good Roman Catholic altar boy would. So I remember praying, Mary, Joseph, anybody? <laughs> That's what I said. Anybody up there? <laughs> I would like to give my life to Jesus. And holy cow, God's presence came in. I'm instantly not high anymore. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but I am going to tell you that. Just like I was just normal. And I, I felt God's presence and I had this deep, sense that I was loved by God as I was cleansed. It was an epiphany. God made himself known to me. The fact that you are in this service today, preparing to come to the table, means that you at some point in your life have had an epiphany. God caught your attention. And I bet there are lots of odd stories in here about how God got you to follow some kind of star. And God met you in places that others would say there's no way God would meet a person in that place or in that situation, but God did. I have a friend who was an, a proclaimed atheist, and he had got hoodwinked to coming to this low-key Christian event just because a friend dragged him there. He wasn't really interested. And because he's kind of a, you know, wants to fit in, you know, he's standing there, and they all did Eucharist at the end. And he thought, oh, I don't want to go, but I don't not want to go. You know, I don't want to offend anyone. So he goes up and receives the Eucharist, receives the bread and the wine at the table. And God met him, transformed his life. He's now a minister person. And um, there's all kind of theological wrong with that story. Right? I mean, what was the non-Christian even doing going to the Lord's table? But the Lord who maketh the rules gets to breaketh the rules. <laughs> so here's my encouragement for you in this epiphany season. It's actually taken from Ephesians 1. Paul prays, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you can know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened pray this for yourself pray this for people you love who touch your life pray this for your spiritual leaders for your natural leaders pray this for people you don't know who don't really know the Lord you, you had something in you that sense they don't really know the Lord this is actually a great arrow prayer to pray at people in the airport or walking down the street or driving around some people have never been prayed for. They just get cussed at. Lord, open their eyes. Lord, touch that person's world. When I was a pastor for a number of years, um, this lady, her name was Mrs. Schlensog <laughs> from Nielsville, Wisconsin, where my dad was a, a doctor. And I always wondered how come I was so open to giving my life to God. 
And I just thought, well, I'm just, I just must be an open person in that regard, right? And she came up to me years after I'd been pastoring. She actually started coming to our church where I was pastoring that first church. She looked at me and she said, she's older, she was in her 80s. She looked at me and she said, a pastor aunt? I said, yeah. So I just feel like I should tell you this story. I said, yeah. She said, when, when I, your dad was my doctor in Nielsville. And he said, when I was, when you were really little, he said, I saw a picture of you on his desk. And he said, you had to be, I don't know, eight years old or something. She said, I felt like the Holy Spirit told me, pray for that boy. And she said, I prayed for you every day for years and years. And something kind of hit me. I thought, maybe that's why. Maybe some people are just not open to seeing the star or following the star or seeing God because no one's prayed for them. What if during Epiphany we upped our prayer life for people? God, make yourself known to them. Show them that you're working in her life or his life. What if that was something we began to do? So this epiphany, get your list. Pray. Pray.